Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined, as always, by Michael Daniels. And we have a special guest with us in the studio, our buddy, Justin. Hey, Justin. How's it Hi. going, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic. So you, you drove all the way down to the studio today. I'm glad you could get in. How's the, how's the, uh, you like the new digs? We've got the new place here. It's cush. Every time yeah, I the, say the in the studio, you ruin it. The <laughs> You're the one that says it. You could drive all the way to, to New York City. Justin's a big driver. Hey, hey, Justin. So, uh, tell us a little, tell us, uh, and the people who are out there in the world, uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm Justin. I've known Mike and Dennis, uh, for just about, two years now i think that's all it seems like a lot longer it's like it's like uh, it does feel like longer but i was uh I mean, it's like one of those things years? you endure and it just feels like forever <laughs> arduous it's every arduous. moment with you is like an eternity <laughs> you've i think you've known michael longer than than me because you're actually in bloomington well yeah. actually dennis i think i met you both the same night oh, probably that, that's possible i've had that happen i think before. i think it was it was a masquerade party we were a little tipsy. <laughs> it's one of those things. There was a phantom. There was a phantom. Uh, so uh, Justin is one of the guys that I play on with Tuesday Game Nights, um, which a lot of people, listeners of the show, will know that I do every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And Justin and I just started playing uh, a new game. We ended up, we didn't really say that. Uh, we ended uh, the Lord of the Rings game, Journeys in Middle Earth. Okay. Um, we finished the first campaign last week. Is that right, Justin? Not yeah, yeah. Week. And then Tuesday, <clears throat> we had a whole like both both groups. Oh, hey, Justin. Also, in that uh, epoch of games, Justin won his campaign of Scythe, I Right? Did yeah. How it was, was it was close in the end. It was a lot of fun. Um, no have... one really ran away with it. It was it was really close in the end. Pretty close. I, I I enjoy that in competitive games when the score is close. That means. It's exciting. I've never played Scythe. Can either of you 30-second summary that game? Go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. It's a bit of Catan where you're collecting and building up resources to eventually build and upgrade your character sheets um, based on where you place certain characters, certain upgrades. You then sort of build up your resources your ability to create resources and the winner is um the person who's able to score the most objectives and those are different in each game yeah okay so it sounds a little bit like um um twilight imperium in that way yeah just the objectives part obviously ti is a gigantic game but and ti tell me if i'm wrong justin there's a lot less aggression in scythe is that correct Yes. In Scythe, you have the ability to score a maximum of two uh, battle points or victory points uh, for winning a battle. I'm so sorry. there's there's not a lot of incentive to be aggressive mm. in the game other than those two combats. After that, if you're <laughs> continuing to participate in combat, uh, you might have a problem. Yeah. You're wasting, you're wasting <laughs> yeah. your turns. Which is good. When when I when I saw that, and if you see the game board and all the miniatures and stuff, you, I thought immediately it was going to be a big war game, and then when I played it, I was like, oh, this is like an objective game. We have it's more economical, things. more kind of Catan meets Lords of Waterdeep or something. It, it, there is a definitely a Catan element to it where you can go and just play a 
pacifist resource heavy style and still sure. do very well in the game. And you played the campaign version, right? Yes, yes. So it was eight games long, um, each campaign game having different objectives than the traditional gameplay. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, you upgrade your character sheets. We unlocked a lot of, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, it was, so is it was that a like very a, good campaign. Is that like a legacy game, like a Pandemic or Gloomhaven, where um, elements of the game are are revealed? I guess Gloomhaven is not so much this way, but like the other legacy games where the story and the and the game mechanics are developed over the course, or is it a more replayable kind of uh, system? The game mechanics don't change that dramatically. Um, there will be special components in certain games adding you know a different ability for one game adding a different character for another game mm -hmm. uh, the, the legacy part of the game is that there are a lot of unlockables a bit sure bit like gloomhaven i'll say you know i didn't realize where... that when trotsky bought that that there was so many like uh, mm -hmm. you, i saw you guys i know that marcus unlocked something really big and oh, i yeah. was like i didn't realize yeah. that all that stuff was in the box that there was boxes that hadn't been unlocked but you guys did so when uh, when uh, when you joined the group, what game were you guys playing? Was that before Pandemic? It was after D&D. No. Okay, yeah, right after D&D. Dennis, we've discussed this recently. My, my very first night at Game Night uh, was Pandemic Season 1 with you filling in. Oh, that's right. For, uh, who was out for, of town? Maybe for Chris? For Chris, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten. I believe that was... that was the first night that I met both you and Mike D. Oh, that's right. Okay. You were you played season one. Okay, I get it. Yeah, because I was thinking to talk about the OG season one group. I was like, yeah, you, you started one. season one <clears throat> the same night when Mike and Pete and Trotsky and Zahn maybe uh, yeah started season mm -hmm. two. Okay, yeah, right. Okay, so um, no, Justin, I, I knew you before that. <laughs> I knew you like I, way before you. That. Like I've, at, at I've played about nights. Okay. Um I've played about half of season 1 of of Pandemic Legacy. Um and I feel like it has a decent amount of unlock mechanics components. Is Scythe like that or is it more so, would you say? Less so than Pandemic. Okay. Um less cuz there's you're some not changing a... there's some almost game-changing unlocks in that in that season 1. Well, there, I, I will yes, say that Marcus's had a, a thing that was pretty different. Yes. In Scythe? Yeah, I mean, again, it's hard to talk about a thing you can't give away, but... No spoilers. Um, and, and I don't know all those spoilers. I just... You walk over there and you're like, hey, you just that's totally it, yeah. new and was not a thing before. Yeah, I did that when you guys were playing season two of Pandemic, and so I already have some kind of high-level spoilers for how that how that works, but nothing... Nothing granular enough that it would really change my decision making if my group ever gets to season two. But yeah, I was a little disappointed <laughs> in season two, but you know, I was just kidding him for me. Like, but anyway, uh, so yeah, Justin won that, and then we finished Lord of the Rings last week, and then we. So what we do is we all shuffle the groups together, deciding which games we're going to play, and um, half of us decided to play Imperial Assault because we, there's been so many expansions. We, as a group, really like that game. Um, did you guys play that before? Oh yeah, we like played it in for a between, long time. um, in between Risk and 
something else? D and D. Probably just just after Risk because okay. I, um, Aaron Lambert was still uh, right. in, in there. Yeah. So that we played Imperial Assault and it was really fun. We really enjoyed it. We played it like two or three times through. Um, and then since then they've had expansions, which says a lot because we play a game and then we're done with it. But we played that, that one three times in a row. That one's a little more. It's not so much a legacy game. It's more like a Mexit versus Minions thing where it's just a sequence of of scenarios that you can but, just play through right. again. But your character does evolve. Like you get more abilities I see, and experience I see. and stuff. Um, so anyway, we, we, we played that one. And there's been so many expansions and extra things. And then another group decided to play that. And, that, and um, that's made up... It, Correct me if I'm wrong, Justin. Uh, Zahn, our buddy Zahn, is the Empire. Uh, yes. Pete, Marcus, Chris, and who am I missing? Pat. 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 Um, and then the, another game that Mike has had for a long time that we really liked the mechanics for, and you can play just as one-offs, but has a whole campaign mode. And we're, when you play the game one-off, it's like you got to play the campaign. It's called Arcadia Quest. Um mm. And like I said, Mike and I have played it several times before. And every time we get done with the first game, it's like, oh, there's so much more to this. But you have to play it in the campaign mode. Um, so now Justin, myself, Mike, and Aaron are playing that game. And it's we started it last Tuesday. And I liked it a whole lot. Justin, what, what did you think? I thought it was a great time. I mean, granted, you yeah, won. Um, but <laughs> uh, It didn't feel much like a victory. Yeah, we will see how mission two unfolds. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that there. I mean, I don't can't go too much of the mechanics or anything, but it's just this. It's got this thing, Dennis, where um, I've heard about it. My um, sister and brother in law played it, and my brother in law really liked it, and my sister did not. Yeah. Um she she doesn't like games with a lot of cards you have to read, um, which is understandable. It takes a little bit of a little bit of work if you're, you know, distracted, whatever. But right. uh, for me, I looked at the rules and mechanics and said, okay, it's big, complicated quest, almost campaign-y kind of thing, and it's competitive. And so with, with my group, I mostly only buy games that I'm going to play with my family. And it's an yeah. easier sell to pitch a complicated game that's cooperative. I, I will say if it's this. competitive, they want something simple so that sure. a person who knows the rules doesn't have an unfair advantage. I, I will say this, and Justin, please chime in here. I think the number one thing we liked about it is how simple it was. Mm. It was it was fairly simple. Yeah. Well, simple for you guys is a it's a slight well, scale. But well, I mean, yeah, yes. I, I I understand. Yeah. That, like like all all you can do is on your turn is move and attack. That's that's it. There's there's no other real option. Oh no, sorry. Search like a thing that's in your your thing. I I do love a game with very few choices on your turn. That's one yeah. of the best things about um, Ticket to Ride. Oh yeah, and we just like we would go around the table several times. It's just because you can only do one thing with one guy. That's it. Yeah, and like just one go, and then especially when someone rests, you're like I rest. Done. Skip next person. Yeah, very very fast turn. That was yeah, a which, that was a major struggle for me with um with Gloomhaven because of the analysis paralysis. Oh yeah, and 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 in this one, there's not a lot of when you do your attack, it's pretty straightforward. There's no like real oh if I shift two, then I hit this and I get a plus. It's just like mm -hmm. you attack. All attacks are done the same way. You just roll the dice. It's all it is. Um, mm -hmm. pretty straightforward. 
well, so that's we, cool. we maybe we'll yeah. maybe we'll find time to play it out and uh, try it out next time i'm in town right. well there's there's only six which it's pretty cool too like six games of it um now did you um mike i know you had tickets to the th- no not thunderstone quest because i played that that's an AEG. Uh, i did like that game starcadia quest is that a sequel spin it to is this? and i missed it at gen con i, I missed see, I, see. I was i was a little how should i say still drunk and, and I realized I couldn't, I couldn't make it, uh, which it's is, just, I, uh, I mean, I know, I know that I overbooked myself for that for this year as well. And uh, yeah, I really wanted to go to see, to do that. And, and I would love to try it again next year, but anyway, that's, that's what our Tuesday groups have, have happening and it's really cool. And, uh, so Justin, we've had a lot of people on most people. I think there's only Marcus and maybe Zahn are the last two that we haven't had on from that group. Um, I would be interested to see how you've had Peter. Yes. Just, just once. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was pretty good. Um, so we've had, we've had pretty much on. And so we're you know adding, adding another one. Uh, but one of the reasons I, I really been trying to get Justin on is because Justin is probably the one that's, I would say closest to me, but I don't think there's anyone else even near as close to us as uh, comic <laughs> book nerds in the, in the group. Um, I so recently and Justin has been a X-Men fan for how long? Like 30 Lifetime. years, right? <laughs> Good one. Uh-huh. Uh, so um, just just as a just to re- reinforce that point, uh, the username that I often use online has a one seven zero one, which is a Star Trek reference. Mm-hmm. Longtime listeners of the show will know how much I love Star Trek. <laughs> uh, Justin's is uncanny Justin, which is a right. X-Men. And it has been for a very long time. Yeah. Right. Which which says a lot. So uh, it seemed like an ideal time since a lot has happened in the X-Men world, as does in the last, I'd say, four years, five years maybe. Um, Wolverine dying, Cyclops dying, the Phoenix stuff happening. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but just recently, there's they decided to, okay, now we're going to not reboot, but we're going to reorient everything. And they stopped all X titles as they tend to do a lot anymore and launched uh, with new creative team head by Jonathan Hickman, who yeah. has done some big stuff. People would know it from the adventure, uh, the Avengers books and fantastic four books. Okay. Um, and he, he has a definite style and he is the creative lead on this and has written the first 12 mini series. Is that what we would call this mini series? Yeah, um, I would say so. That's right. the first 12 issues in the, in the prologue yeah. right and that is a series there's two two book series is called uh powers of x and house of x mm-hmm. and i figured it was H- good house of house of x and powers of 10 what what oh, you didn't know that 10. that's yes roman numeral 10 and if you've read that is, powers of 10 that is it might r- make sense really oh, that's that's why the the years are shown as as exponents i i saw yes. that but i i wasn't sure i I read this series. I had not. Well, I shouldn't say not. I did read a couple of, like a Infinity or Gauntlet thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and something else that had that had uh, Wolverine in it. But for the most part, I've not read very much uh, Marvel Marvel comics, and so I wasn't particularly X Men. So I wasn't sure. Um, yeah. And I, and I thought about that as a good good thing, too. Not only just have Justin on as what we would call an expert for this subject matter. Uh, but expert. 
Yeah, right. And, yeah, I would I would agree with that. And and I know Dennis, no, you hadn't read any of those it's things at all because you said X. Oh, I get it. Uh, <laughs> X. He's an expert. I get I, it. I couldn't let that one go. Slow, slow on the take there, and I was. Um, so yes, Justin is an expert, and the uh, and then you, Dennis, who I don't even know, but like I said, besides those small little things, have any actually read any X Men comic books? So this. I had stopped. My little history is I, I've been an X-Men fan forever, but I, I always, it never fails. I read them for so long, and then I just get so fed up with the emo and the drama and the groan-worthiness of it that I, I stop it. Hmm. And, then I, and then I can't, it's just like a bad soap opera, then you just kind of want to come back to it real bad. Um, <laughs> and, and so I've been out of it for a while. Last time I'd read Cyclops, I came back, and okay. Um, and I'd stopped, and Justin had said, you need to read this. And other people have always said, this is the thing. It's selling out. You need to read this. Um, so I did and I picked it up and uh, that's where we are today where we, and I think that Dennis is, you know, since it's a hopping on point, you can give us a little bit of feedback from that. Standpoint. Sure. So uh, do you, do you want to talk spoilers? We do. Let's do some spoilers. And I'd like to talk here from you first, actually, Dennis. On this. Okay. So we're going to talk about the X-Men series is, House of X and Powers of Ten. Um, if you've not read those and you don't want to be spoiled on the on the story and plots and high points, then uh, skip ahead to the next chapter and come back. Um, let's see. I don't quite know. There's a lot going on in this. Yeah. And right. I, I assumed that I would, uh, you know, come into it not knowing very much. Mm-hmm. I do know a handful of the famous uh sure. characters um like magneto right and all of the ones from the older movies um mm-hmm. everybody knows wolverine mm-hmm. um i know i actually know rogue from some of the old um Ms. animated marvel, series Ms. oh no, really from the miss marvel comics when carol danvers was still miss marvel wow um, that's a that's a real throwback okay. that's a different this is a very different rogue from the movies Right, she's more of a yes, way different. A, yeah. a Peter Petrelli kind of. Uh, that's a real call. <laughs> that's a good reference. Yeah. Um, but I mean, anyway, Rogue is not in this that I noticed. Um, and, but even with that, I started out confused, and I that seems to be intentional. The story is told yes. from various points in time in various ways. Right. As it as it moves forward, you start to understand why. Um, and I was confused too, just so you know, as a long time reader, yeah, I, I was also very confused. That's, that's not surprising to me. I never, well, it took a long time before I had any sense of why, uh, professor X looks like that. It looks like yeah. something from something else that I can't, uh, I can't put my finger on, but, um, it's almost like a, a little bit of a, um, who's the guy from, uh, from Spider-Man. Mysterio. Oh, with the, mm-hmm. the bowl. I, with the, I will the, say the real ball. quick as a comment on that. I don't want to go into much of it. It it bugged me a lot that helmet. He mm-hmm. wears a, a cerebral helmet. Yeah, it's, um, it's the latest iteration of cerebro, right? Right. It, the... it the reason it bugged me is because Hickman wrote Fantastic Four, or no, what it was one of the series, is, and he had Reed Richards in a helmet like that too. Yes. Okay. Yes. And Ultimates. It, the Ultimates. Yes. Where the ultimate version of Reed Richards becomes evil. Yeah. 
and wears, I think that might be, well, that might be what Dennis is thinking of, but yes, he wears a very similar helmet uh, and it, to what Xavier wears. It, exactly. And it bugged me in that whole thing and it's bugging me now. Uh, but this one does have a couple, I mean, big reasons for it. And I'm, we'll talk about that later, but I, it bugged me. And just like this whole book series, you have to read it all to kind so of it. So it very helpfully has the, the reading order index at the bot at the back of every book. That is very yes. helpful. Um, and so I think, I think I maybe read the first two. How did they go? Yeah. I read house of X one and two, and then went back and read powers of 10 one, um, which was fine. Like it's, you know, was that out of order? I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 The, the, Uncanny Life of Moira X is is supposed to be number three. But um, once I got through that one, then I had a sense of what was happening. Um, none of the details, but at least the big picture. Um, so that was House of X number two. Yes. That was a big turning issue for me. Was that Moira's reveal? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so then, that- then you see what's going on, how they're... Um, how the maybe not multiverse but uh the multiple versions realities um mm-hmm. are explained in this story mm-hmm. um and it really what what really really worked for me is the first time that she's with um Logan and and he kills her mhm i was like that was the first time where I was like, oh, man, this is really good. Because <laughs> it's it's just this, like, sweet sort of scene. And, you know, she's a new character, I assume. But, you know, we all know at least some version of Logan. And I assume that he doesn't deviate too much from that that archetype. Actually, actually Moria has been around for a long, long time. But Very, very old character. Yeah, very, see. very newly... Uh, reintroduced. reintroduced. But, yeah, but she's, I don't think, has ever been a mutant. I Correct. See. They they just assumed she was always, I mean, she was always supposed to be just human. And she was a love interest for Charles Xavier. And she was just kind of a lame-ish side character thing, but not really big. And now this all of a sudden rewrites everything about her. Okay, yeah. yeah. So Clearly. she has yeah. this, um, she has this power that in in day to day, which explains how, you know, they could take a character who was presumed to be human and say, yes, she's a mutant, but she only does this one thing. This one thing is huge, but day to day, like she can't do anything unique. Right. Yeah. And and she, in, in the last one powers of X or powers of 10, number six, mm-hmm. she does a whole diary entry type thing. And that was really interesting because as a longtime reader, you kind of want to wonder, like, okay, how does this all work if she knew all these lives? There's a but fair. She, I, she addresses I, that a little bit. I ran out of time. I did not get to read through all of those. I did mm-hmm. read some of the other stuff when they're doing like the world minds and the phalanx, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. that that the writers, um, or I guess Hickman, um, mm-hmm. pauses every now and then at points in the story to give really detailed explanation and of course i've i've read and seen things books and and comics that that do that and it's always nice as someone who does mostly t 
TV and film watching of this kind of material to see, you know, somebody pause and like explain, you know, at least try to answer all of those questions that that the reader or the viewer is going to have. That felt like a pretty big, big thing in this whole book was that that I was mm-hmm. not used to in all the other books that I've kind of read was where it's going through a normal comic booky type story and then it just stops and then info dumps you. Yeah. I was, I was like, what, what? And like the entire <laughs> sinister protocols. And I'm like, I don't know what any of this is. And then later on, like, oh, it kind of explains everything before and now everything after. The only things that I had no experience with or, or knowledge of um, was the sinister thing. Yeah, sure. And okay. I, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know that I knew about the Nimrod uh, thing, though it's explained fairly well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I have I have just the vaguest idea of what the Sentinels are, so yep. um, I was fine with that. I think really those two, that's all you would need to know, really, just vague ideas, because their backgrounds are just as vague. Like, Nimrod is just an uber-super uh, Ultron. Yeah. Evil you know? robot. Yeah. yeah. and but But they never really explain his origins, and this one's like, hey, we're going to explain... <laughs> what it's he's all about and sentinels the same thing you just kind of got to know some things and this book just kind of explains well i didn't really know like mother molds and stuff and yeah no, I do. master but molds and ag- master again molds. they explain it so it's they do they explain that, it. Mm-hmm. that part of it is fine and there's very little of the of the other characters that you really need to know like everybody knows xavier and and magneto eric and everybody knows wolverine Mm-hmm. For the most part, everybody else is like, oh, okay, well, Gene's telepathic, but everybody knows that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other characters are mostly just there. Like, the only ones that use powers explain it, or it's, you know, presented in a way that you can easily understand what their power is. Um, right. Or or they're just there. Um, right. Yeah, they, you're right. They are just there. There's not a whole now that I'm thinking back. Besides the attack on the the space station, there's not a whole lot of power which, usage. Which or... again is is all characters you're we're familiar with from the movies. Um, exactly. Um, it's a very well known team. Night Nightcrawler. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, people might not know M or. Monique, I mean the five, the, yeah, uh, Monet, yeah, Monet, uh, yeah. the yeah. five, the that five it, that are being used for the resurrection process. Oh, she's all the, five of those. Yeah. Some, she's the only one. I pretty didn't unique know. characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that um, that's actually the way they use that. Those all those extra characters, like Dennis is saying, you don't necessarily need to know them, but at some point you may find interest in one of them, and you could go back and look in comic books for it. Of course. Right, which oh, is absolutely. that's a neat thing, kind of at least about Marvel. DC is confusing because they don't have a standard thing, but um, gold balls, gold balls, gold uh, balls. That was huge. That was he's like, he's always been a favorite character of mine. He's only been introduced in the last four or five years, but wow, to see him uh, become such a an integral character to the series is going to be really interesting to see what they do with that. Yeah, that's there's. Funny. There are these there are these elements going on that, of course, I can identify from other um, more sci-fi series. Like their resurrection thing is very similar to the one used in Battlestar Galactica. Um, right. Moira's power is 
very similar to, um, well, let's see, an anime. Uh, what was that anime called? ReZero. Or the movie um, Lived I Repeat. Yeah, oh, Groundhog's yeah. Day. I, first first time I saw Moya's Power, I thought, oh, it's Groundhog's Day. It's, but it's Groundhog Day, but, but a whole... But a whole lifetime, life yeah. yeah. And and actually, the coolest part about that, and it, it's a really important part about this whole story, is in her what second life or third second life, third life maybe is when destiny comes into it. Another again, another character that a lot of people don't know, but she seems yeah, she's a precog. It's at least three or four lives because it's when she starts to try and try and do things. And it took me a little while reading through that issue. Um, Early on, it's it's not super clear that she's time traveling. Um, I I at first thought that she just you know uh, um, woke up in utero in the next. It was just like standard reincarnation. Yeah. Except you know being self aware in the womb, right? Which is vaguely <laughs> terrifying. Um, but then as it went forward and explained why she couldn't live her first life again because of the curse of knowledge. Um, hmm. I, then I realized, oh, okay, she's she's traveling through. Oh, okay, now that's that's different. That's that's a whole different story. And so then you have the, you get to the very end of the story with the, the um, whatever they're called, the, the machine humans. People, um, post-human post people. Post-humans post yeah. post mm -hmm. um, trying to ascend into the Q continuum. <laughs> that um that you realize that was only uh life six or life six and we had already seen the the uh, mother mind stuff happens in life nine and the the main story that starts at the first page of the first issue when you see them being hatched yeah um that that's this early stage in the 10th cycle like I gotta say more that information was... every time until you know one of those times she and and Logan survived for like a thousand years or yeah. something mm -hmm. and then started over again yeah that's that's was the that was the point when I something I really really liked with the writing too is that like clarity happened as soon as Moira appeared. It's yeah. like, I don't know what is even going on in any of these <laughs> X-Zeros, X-1, X-14, whatever they were, you know, the, the, the exponent stuff. A thousand years in the future, I was like, how is this even relevant? And I was really felt like I was wasting my time. And then Moira appears and you're like, oh, this is her life. Mm -hmm. I get it. You know, yeah. and, and that's when it all that's and it happened kind of late in the books. And I was like, now it's all clicking. Now it all it's all about Moira and resetting next man so justin yes <laughs> how did you feel about this now that it's all done and over i mean i am very i am very very satisfied it this is a series that didn't tell a story right it told it was ju it's just a prelude it's 12 comic books of just setting up things right setup yes it's world building mm -hmm. more than anything else yeah which is something that hickman has always been fantastic at there's no this real a, villain here kind of right and at least not, nothing not, new. not yet we've we've starting to get a taste for what's to come what issues 
mutants will be facing in the coming years and the coming issues. I wanted to, and yeah, it's just the setup is what's, what's most exciting to me. I can't remember the last time that a comic book has had so many pathways that a character can take. So so many different comic books that can spin out of this and so many different perspectives are going to be able to take. I had this thought when you said um, that Xavier's look is similar to a villain version of um, Reed Richards. Reed Reed Richards. Richards. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if this character design with the helmet uh, and Cerebro look for, for Professor Xavier is trying to give him a more neutral in terms of not that he's gone evil, but he's no longer as as true good in using D and D alignment uh, yeah. terms. <laughs> where what he's doing now is a is a compromise. I mean, they set that up in the end. Like all the all the lifetimes that Moira has known him, he's always been the same, and she has to change that. She has to break him. In some yeah, way. she mm-hmm. she's very. That last issue was so huge because of like that breaking Charles Xavier and setting him up. And it just changed. I think I can Moira's diary type stuff just changed the whole game. Hmm. It's it's the, the thing I've kind of read online is this idea of that. The, the last issue drops so many little Easter egg bombs that can happen and lead off into a million different directions. Namely that, you know, she doesn't let Charles read her mind again. Um, she's terrified of destiny coming back. Why aren't precogs allowed on? You know, it's, she is, she just changes her whole, I think through the whole series, you're like, oh, Moira is trying to save everything and make everything wonderful. And then in the last half of the last book, she feels very sinister. She feels like she's up to something. And, and if you're, if you remember, I think just well done story crafting is that way back at the beginning in her third life, she was evil, right? She flat Mm -hmm. out was the head of all anti-mutant stuff and destiny had to stop her. Hmm. Yes. And yeah. and the only reason she stopped was because destiny threatened and then told her she only has so many lives. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so to say that Moira doesn't have a bigger plan to actually be a bad guy. I, I think that would be foolish. I think that it would be naive to not yeah. Yeah. think that's a consideration. Um, which, which actually that's, that comes back to the Charles thing is that, they don't show his face intentionally the whole time. The Absolutely. only time you see him him with his face is when he is the the dreamer. He's the he's the Charles Xavier that has the dream. That's, when she's that's happy, yeah. Yes. And then she puts this helmet on, gets she convinces him through all the stuff and does all this stuff and he finally puts the helmet on and then he is full on Magneto from then on. Um I just had a thought. So Moira's one weakness is that if she dies early enough, uh, no, maybe this doesn't work. Uh, her, 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 I was thinking her weakness is that she can be killed bef- before her powers manifest. And she just influenced Xavier to build this thing to let mutants, uh, resurrect. Although that could be part of it too. Like what happens to her power if he resurrects her in the current timeline? Well, he can't. The way the way it's explained by the the blue post human person, this is weird with Marvel stuff. And Justin, 
say some things here after I talk. Um, I'm I'm following. There I'm following. is there is multiverses and there is multi timelines and there's all sorts of stuff. But the blue, the super blue human guy, smart guy, said that she will destroy a timeline. Like her mutant power is that she completely destroys what was before and starts a new one. Okay. So she, if she dies, they don't have a chance to resurrect her. It's over and she the, starts again. The timeline ends. Yeah, the timeline is done. Interesting. And she just starts a new one. Okay. Which is, but I, I, I do think one of the most interesting elements going forward will be how the resurrection system is manipulated and how it is uh sort of warped yeah well they gotta tear it down i i will say that they I told say, justin they say in the description that they've never attempted to uh unite a soul with a different, with a different body. body yeah yeah uh, that's clearly they, gonna do, they mentioned later that you can implant an old copy mind yeah. an old copy of a mine onto a current copy of a mine. And that Xavier has done that himself. He's done that twice. And he's done that twice. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't read through all that, but I assumed that was what happened because he's in a young fit body walking around. Well, that yes. that's a long story why that's able, but Oh, that, that that's not a big deal. Um, okay. But the, 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 uh, the thing about his backup is another big thing, too, is that they, they hint at that. That seems to be another Hickman, like, okay, here's a trail that's going to mm -hmm. go off and have things some years later, mm -hmm. is that yes. Moira says that, you know, she's had to recopy him to, to um, he found out some stuff or he knew things or he, so they decided that he needs to be rebacked so he doesn't remember these things. So there's some big things that he, that's not good that Moira had to kind of erase. Right. And that it's all blacked out in the thing. So they don't really know. Well, it is, I, I it's difficult because I, I really enjoy, I gotta, I gotta admit, I'm not a big Hickman fan because he just goes way too crazy sometimes, but <laughs> this was great. This was great. in the fact that I think that it was, as Justin said, world building, it was it's setting up things. It's really nice to see a company say, stop all stories and all X titles type thing. And let's just spend 12 comic books to just build on a slow world, you know, yes. and then give that, give the writer that kind of freedom. And he's writing several other books going forward. He's reading, he's writing Dawn of X and I think X-Men. And uh, one of the things that he wants to do and Marvel wants to do is, to let other writers, you know, now that he's got a strong establishment and he's the like Kevin Feige of the X-Men universe now, <laughs> he can just say, okay, you go here. Here's your X, here's your title. Here's what it's about. I've set you up. Now you go tell your own story with those kind of mini parameters. Yes. You know, which is pretty exciting. Um, and take these six characters that are, you know, whoever they are. And, and that goes that way. Um, but the thing is, is that I, on the other hand, though, I really hate the X-Men. Like, I really don't <laughs> like, I mean, I love the X-Men, obviously, personally, but I, in this story, I hated them all. I was re definitely pro-human. I mean, anyone who comes in with an, <laughs> an arrogance that the way that they have, mm. the thing about, Justin, I talked about this a little bit on Tuesday, that the Charles Xavier's dream is that everyone lives happily together. 
Sure. This is embracing the whole modern day world that, no, we're all different and we all need to be this divided type thing and one is better than the other. And it's a very divisive way, which is our current world, at least here in America. Everything's so yeah. divided, us mm. versus them, and they're right and we're wrong and we're just going to stick to it. And that is the Magneto evil since 1963 has been the Magneto evil view of the world, that there is only a black and white, and I am right, and you are wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is just turning Professor X into saying, you know what? That's a right idea. It's okay to be better than everyone else. And Magneto Eric Lyncher, he embraces this whole thing. He's like, Charles, we're finally brothers. We're together, and it's all been forgiven, and I love you, and it's the best. Oh, so you're you're thinking of that less as... Um less of a magneto compromise and more of an xavier compromise oh it's totally a compromise that's why moira says she had to break him of his dream she even says like it's a dream until you it's time for you to wake up charles from your dream you're just you know it's not a real thing um and somehow she manipulates him to give up this dream which is the key point that's what brought me back around i'm like oh this isn't gonna stick forever like we're gonna find out that moira is is wrong is actually evil someday and we're going to live in that world for a while. Um, and then Charles Xavier is going to be like, no, we need to come together because this divisiveness is going to be terrible, which gives me hope, I think. Interesting. Interesting theory. I would have I, to, I don't know. I would have, I, to I'm read not through, sure I... I would have to read through all of those um, out of character summaries and stuff. I wonder if the, like, could the resurrection technology keep her from dying? Well, remember, like I said, you can't really. We, we talked dead. about that, but I know one of those descriptions talks about the time frame. Like if the if the mind is there, like oh, right. her consciousness is stored in Cerebro, it's only backed up once a week. So if she's not, if it's still there, is she not completely dead if her body dies and he brings her back? So she never has a chance to oh, I don't know. start over. So they're they're committed to this timeline. Well, I I will I will say that. That's another thing that ticked me off is this, this now deaths are useless. I mean, I, sure. I, again, I said this to Justin was that, you know, I get comic books, Captain America dies. He's going to be back someday, but mm-hmm. comic book, comic book death has weight because your favorite character is gone for sometimes many years, like of real time, many years. Right. And, and you can, when Wolverine went away, we had to tell all the stories without a Wolverine. Thank God. And so many other cool things came came out of that, and he comes back. Yes, you get your favorite character back from whatever comic book reason it is, but it has weight when they die because you're like, oh man, now there's no weight. They just went off and they can just suicide mission everything they do. And well, yeah, the weight changes. I think a bit. Um, I think there is an understanding in comic books that death is never truly permanent right yeah we see too many characters come back there's not i mean even saying there's a weight to it i i i i'm hesitant to say that when i see a character die i think like dead forever right well if it's so now you we've seen punishment enacted in this new mutant society we saw what happened to saber tooth saber tooth so there are possible consequences for their actions higher than death Sure. Okay. So I th- I think we could very easily see, I mean, if this power hungry Xavier is going to start spinning out of control, seeing mutants who have taken morally ambiguous uh, choices 
being punished and possibly being uh what was the term they used exiled ex yeah exiled exiled um, is wasn't there a character at the end who a mutant who didn't join them somebody yes like down in the ocean or something namor uh namor right uh, which i love that scene and... i was like that's awesome because that's a great scene. Franklin you, Richards Krakoa. is another character uh, who was mentioned and I could see being important later on because of how Hickman is fascinated with the Fantastic Four dynamic. I did. I did like there was a couple scenes when they when Charles was talking to the world and they showed the like Avengers, Avengers and the, the Avengers and stuff. Avengers, and I'm like Doctor now, Strange that I wish that they would address that they would address. That's like I mean, they probably won't because it's just they're going to be X-Men comic books, but. Like how does how does the how do other people take this like world dominating type thing, you know that that I just don't see how people can come in and kill people, like mutants can come in and just murder people and be evil people, terrorists, and then another nation be like, yeah, we're cool, you you have to give them to us, and well, everyone just they, being okay with that. They did set up their their three laws of robotics. Yeah, yes, I, I much appreciated that. Which, which the last one was a riot. Was a riot. I mean, there's a great io9 article about how now mutants are having more sex than ever because Kurt made the last law to, that we all have to get busy and and have babies. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Yeah. That's that's a law. And then, <laughs> and then right after that, like it's so funny. He's they're having the quiet council, and he's like, we need to procreate. And then it flashes to the um, celebration scene of Wolverine, Cyclops, and Marvel Girl kind of all hanging on each other with the beer. And I'm like, oh, so they're <laughs> saying three ways are uh, okay. It's interesting. It's a little bit, um, I know I said three laws of robotics, but it's a little bit, um, uh, I'm trying to f find the right PC word for this. It's a little bit Nation of Israel. Um, oh yeah that's a little <laughs> it was like you went there i i i say i say that i say that for two reasons Deeper. because of the because of the procreation law and because of the sacred homeland law right they don't word yeah. it that way but that's basically well, they, what they it do is. yeah and so Kirk if they to to you know go back to the exiled thing if the if the powers if the council the quiet council of um of Krakoa trans evil like starts to become evil they're the absolute authority in the in the world of mutants and mm -hmm. they have control over both this exile system and this resurrection system but at the same time they're also involving this um uh this organism Krakoa that we don't know anything, at least I didn't know anything about in terms of alignment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was the first X-Men, like when they, in the very first X-Men comic, issue one, one, issue one yeah. they were going out to to investigate this living island. Krakoa. Living island, I see. Yeah. Um, oh, no, wait. Right? Yes. X-Men, giant size X-Men is when Krakoa first Oh, giant size X-Men. X-Men number one. So that's Wolverine and... That's uh, Wolverine Storm, yeah, because yeah. they're going to save the original team, right? Um, so this, the, yeah, the, the resurrection thing is problematic to me. Uh, also, a little problematic to me in here that was unsettling that bothered me, and I, I'm just <laughs> trying to just put it off as comic books, is that like 
ha- over half the Quiet Council are mur- mass murderer terrorists. Sure. I mean, they're evil, evil people who have slaughtered countries and chopped people's heads off. They are just terrible people. And like, and, and every one of them are just as bad, if not worse than Sabretooth. I mean, they just picked like the little bully at the, of the moment. And I'm like, are you serious? They're having apocalypse and, you know, the acolytes and sinister past judgment. It was just very, <laughs> it was very ridiculous. Um, so anyway, that, that bothered me uh, a lot. <laughs> you could make an argument that these, these villainous characters have always uh, done those villainous acts in favor of mutant kind. And that this new uh, mutant sort of agenda is one that they can all get behind. Yeah. Well, they, but that but that, that is they a, are villainous. Say it's not, it, that's not a, a justification for not only murdering humans, but also murdering mutants in, in the thing. I mean, murder is murder is murder. Well, before they didn't have the resurrection but, thing, you know. Yeah, I, I think people. they're going for a, you know, uh, Xavier is is letting go of his dream, and now they're doing something new where, you know, there's amnesty, right? He gives amnesty, and because of you know maybe whatever the the intents or personality of of Krakoa, which they actually do. I should go back and read that again when he first takes. Uh, the translator guy, Cypher? No. Cypher, right. Cypher. Yeah. Um, they do a little bit of that backstory, but I think maybe they're trying to present a, like a moving more to true neutral, which sure. which does mean the the good and the evil compromise and and approach the center in that, in that metaphor. Well, the, the uh, I, I did mention this before, is that, this isn't a new story. Like it, it kind of bothers me a little bit. Be, in I mean, I, I'm so down on this one. I actually like this whole comic book, <laughs> but the, it bothers me because this whole like bad guys are good guys was just done recently, and it was terrible. And it felt it felt like me like the dark ages of X Men comic books. It's when um, before the Phoenix stuff. It was uh, Justin. Remember when Magneto led the team and. Um, uh, Colossus went evil and his sister's always a demon witch and they had the white yeah. queen. It was X-Men were all led by the bad guys and then Cyclops who ended up being the the worst of the worst. <laughs> and, and, and you're like, it's just at that time when the X-Men was there, they were basically the bad guys and they were arguing the bad guys thing and they were justifying all reasons why, you know, it's okay that Eric is a terrorist and it's okay because of this. And then now he's not, but then it's okay. And then now they're back to like, oh, bad guys are okay again. I'm like, you know what? There's no longer, you could just be a bad guy and a murderer and a terrorist. Don't worry. Just give it time and I'll be the leader. You know? (laughs) And that's, while it can be interesting, it also just kind of cheapens things in my opinion. But yeah. uh, It it is creating a new moral uh, ambiguity or a moral, a morally ambiguous code for the mutants going forward. Right. And I guess I do think I'm a, that that's really interesting. I think and, and I think that's probably my problem. My problem is, is that in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain America is my favorite character. Like, right. And it's because I just I just enjoy this, the, the, the line of there is good and there is bad and you know it. 
right? I mean, I know that there are shades of gray and everything in the world, but you know this is wrong. It's and you yeah, know that is right. It's it's something you can you can understand and you can depend on. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna surprise you. Like his right. like murder is bad. Not well sometimes you know no murder is bad. Okay, or, so anyway, or that, murder is bad now. Right. So okay, so Justin, it's not so much yeah. for Dennis, but Justin, are you have you already are you adding all the new X titles to your poll list, or are there ones that you're most excited for? I have not yet decided if I'm going to get back into the X Men. I was waiting on this conversation to think what Dennis and you had both thought of it. Um, and I, if I do, I don't know what which ones I want to get into. If I, I want to pull them all. What do so, you think? Hickman is writing X-Men, the core series. So just X-Men. Okay. And he is also writing new mutants. Okay. Those two knowing how Hickman tends to scrap craft his stories are must reads for me. If I'm going to follow the mutants going forward. Okay. Um, After that, the other books I have. It's hard to tell where they're going to go from here because there are so many threads that they can follow other than knowing what the team from the cover is going to be, yeah. I can't even begin to to imagine what some of those stories are going to cover. Like Gene is leading the X-Force with Cable and Domino, which is a strange combination. Right. Um, there's the British team reforming uh, under Excalibur. Yeah, what's the deal with um, that? Like, I guess with the new resurrection I, I thing, I guess... Like Betsy Braddock is back, not as Psylocke, and Psylocke's Quanon again, and they're too, that is confusing. Yeah, and Psylocke is leading her own series, uh, The Fallen Angels. Um, I again, I don't know other than that she's in it, and I think X twenty three is in it, which is she's um, one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, great team lineups, and there's one that I'm forgetting. There's like a whole bunch Marauders, of Marauders, Marauders with, six, with six Kitty Pride, yeah. It's X-Men, New Mutants, Marauders, Excalibur, Fallen Angels, and X-Force. Well, I I will say this as a launching off point for someone like you, Dennis. It's that with these six titles launch, it's and this is kind of how X-Men has classically been, is that you get to pick the people that you like. Like, I'm interested in, let's say you read about Cypher and you don't really know, but you really piqued your interest. You're like, oh, he's in this comic book. And I'm going to now Mutants, pull that right? one and it will center it around a much smaller team than what these like last 12 have been. And you can really focus in on the say three that you might know and two or three that you don't know in this and you're going to learn. So it, it allows, you know, that kind of variance, which X-Men's have done a pretty good, good job of, you know, spreading those team members around and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking about maybe doing X-Men. I'll read Dawn of X and, Read X Men. It. I, I wonder how long Hickman's writing is gonna gonna keep with me. It's it's gonna be. So you you have not read X Men yet. I have not read X Men yet. Issue issue one came out this week. Came out oh. this Wednesday. Okay. Yesterday. Maybe I should and grab it. I, I recommended House and Powers. I would recommend X Men. Yeah. First issue is very good. It I... feels very much like a continuation of what was being established in House. Very, very similar in what it was uh, expanding. X-Men to me felt like uh, taking the sort of like thematic elements of House 
and sort of containing it to a couple people. Mm. So the book focuses on uh, the Cyclops and the Summers family very closely. And if you're a Cyclops fan, if you're a fan of Gene, Wolverine, Cable, any of the other Cyclops, Summers characters, Havoc, Vulcan, they're all huge in this book. All of them have some really cool standout moments. Um, so to say Vulcan's back, right? Like it, there's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Vulcan's back. Rachel is back. Um, Corsair, Cyclops's father makes an appearance. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's, it's taking the macro universe that house created and putting it on a micro scale and focusing on just a few core characters and seeing their perspective on this new mutant dream. Where, where does, very, where, very where good does, book. Where does the Quiet Council fit into these books? It wasn't mentioned in issue one at all. Like, like uh, I don't know. Where do you get it to read about Professor X, Charles Xavier, the White Queen, Mystique, Destiny, and Moira? Where do you get those guys at? I don't know yet. That's it seems like a big thing. Maybe they'll have like another in like two years. They'll have a. <laughs> I mean, they've already thing. teased a second wave of X-Men titles or a second wave of X titles coming later next year after the initial release of these initial six titles. So I think that they're building towards storylines that are going to be lasting for a very long time. So Dennis, as we wrap up this topic that we've gone on for a while, Mm -hmm. what, what, um, this is your, I guess, first X title. Is this something that, you would tell people like, Hey, this is a good time. Go buy those. They just came out. And if you're interested in things, it's worth buying or you just like, wait, it's too much. Just like a lot of people tend to say with getting into comic books these days, is it too much? Is it too overwhelming? Is it, I mean, would it, would it inspire you to buy more or not? The, the, the question of recommending somebody to buy comics is a whole conversation we've never had. And I don't know that I'm, <laughs> I have enough experience to say whether or not um, I, you loaned me these and I, and I read them mm-hmm. that way. Um, I just looked while you guys were talking because I stopped recognizing names after I think cable. <laughs> um, right. And it is available on comiXology. I would have to buy it. It's not in the, yeah. uh, whatever their plus unlimited thing I'm paying for. And mm-hmm. it's my understanding that Marvel unlimited runs on like a six month delay. On publication. It does. Yes. Sure. Um, which I guess would be fine, Mike, since you told me that you buy stuff and then you don't read it until like a year later. So yeah, we could still... <laughs> this this one I had this one I had had to read it all because it's like a very and I knew Justin was here and I wanted to talk about it. But yeah, um, they all came out in like in a in a row. They were like every week or something. It was a lot. Which, yeah, which makes sense. The story would be even harder to follow if you got an issue every once a month or something. Yeah. Um, 12 weeks 12 issues is impressive yeah right so so but is this overwhelming but just is in this... terms of in terms of reading it i think if you've seen the the main what i think of as the main x-men films i there's at least one or two that i have not seen um i've only seen i think most of days of future past i don't think i saw the wolverine origin movie which everyone said was terrible I've not seen those new Dark Phoenix movies, but the old ones from the 90s. Did you see the Apocalypse one? I don't think so. And that's that's cuz Apocalypse is a big guy in 
You would recognize Apocalypse. I recognized the character of Apocalypse. Um, he reminds me of Dark Side in DC. Maybe? That's fair. Maybe? Yeah, for sure. For at sure. least, at yeah. least in his design and uh, bald head, right? Detail, right. Purple yeah. skin. Um, thing, yeah. But anyway, yeah. all you know, we've talked about this all this time, and for me, not being a reader, only seeing those movies, the old Patrick Stewart movies. Um, I, I knew enough of these characters in this way. And so if you're, I don't know, I would almost, I almost, <laughs> almost want to say if you're interested in certain things, but it, it sort of spoils it a little bit. If I, if I say that, um, if you like those characters and you're interested in, in getting into it, it's always, maybe not always, but it seems nice to be able to jump in, at a big change. This happens to be new. I think for me, if I were jumping into something, I would prefer to be jumping in at a big change that happened a couple years ago so that I have a bunch of stuff to read. But sure. it's also exciting to talk about something that's emergent, you know, that's very, very new and people are still excited about. You know, if I well, if I yeah. just started reading, um, what are the, like year one, all the big, changes i know of are from dc the like new 52 and um they did because they have them like more recently um reborn yeah it was reborn reborn um you know that might be rebirth i'm sorry sorry yeah they did rebirth Rebirth. like in the before 2010 i want to say and then they did one like in 14 that's called something else yeah, they're they're always or, or that's rebirth and and new fifty two was was like new fifty two I think was twenty twelve maybe okay it's a few years yeah. and then before rebirth that. was like twenty sixteen yeah, that right. seems that sounds right. every few years so, so the, the, yeah if I were just jumping into something where a story was rebooted like in twenty thirteen anybody reading comics actively would be like yeah that's let 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 me know when you get to the interesting part i don't want to spoil it for you <laughs> well the 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 thing inter- crazy thing about this kind of with this whole moira timeline crazy stuff is that i don't know if any of the past matters comic books yeah matter like are they are they real like which timeline was the the 2014 x-men in was it this one is it was it one of the other ones it or is it is treading a very thin line between uh, discrediting a lot of stuff that's come previously. Because if Xavier has been this sort of uh, manipulative, plotting, uh, long game person for the last 10 years or, you know, 50 years in the real world, yeah. like, does that mean when he was making actions, you know, to restart the X-Men to get these people together, was it just because he knew that's what he was supposed to do? Or was he doing out of genuine sort of like compassion for them? It doesn't matter. At, at right. what time? At what time do they meet? Uh, like Moira I don't know. Like and it's it's it does, Moira it's, and Xavier. It, say? it says he says he just had the dream last night that in his place in the world. So oh, I'm thinking it's a, before. Is that a before time that is known? He he can wow. still walk. Um, yeah, so that's right. a, oh, that's a clear true. that's a clear point because so he's gonna walking be, in the, the his first encounter. So it's got to be before he fir- formed the first X Men. Correct. Right. I see. It looks so, like it's his days at Oxford, which is something that came up a lot in um, House of X number two. 
Moira sort of had a, a moment in time when she often met Xavier and it looked like it was around that same period. Um, I don't know. I like to think that it's a, this is a whole new timeline. I mean, that none of the past is the that, past. All that other that, stuff happened that in the seems, past. That seems to be the implication. So you're, we're somewhere in between first class and, you know, the original movie. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> thing, like things you could say that some things were canon, but the, the, the writers are free to say that like, oh, that that was pro- what you probably saw was that what happened in Moira Timeline 5 or something, you know. Like, yeah, it's a little bit like the like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek so it's exactly so it's basically not the only things you can count on are anything that happened before this and whatever aspects of a character that are fundamental to that character like wolverine will still be like the same yeah right yeah so so getting on now is like it's like a whole new world right it's like we don't even know i don't even know if these characters are going to be the same kind of characters anymore they're just it's you're just their fundamentals are the same sure but if you're going to hop on X-Men, why not? This is, everything's going to be new. We're right. all, Justin's lear- learning about it the same way I'm learning about it. We've got a little bit of background on some characters, but that's it, you know? Yeah. And that could all change because everything's changed now. Everything's out the out the window. Right. I mean, God, Apocalypse is best buddies with Magneto. Wow. You know, so. <laughs> okay, so okay, that was a lot, but. We've talked about this for a while. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's just briefly, because, oh, well. I, there's never anything that we don't have a lot to say about, but I don't feel like I have much to say about this week's movie, uh, the 1981 cult horror classic, Evil Dead. This is the original Sam Raimi. Uh, you mean Spider-Man guy? Yes, yeah, Spider-Man guy. We said that last week. Um <laughs> <sighs> I don't I don't know I don't know what to say about this movie. It's um Justin's a big fan of this movie. I, oh, that's 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 one of the things he said like I love Evil Dead. I was like, wait, a, a lot a lot of people are and I'm not against that. It's kind of a, you know, different strokes or uh my my favorite is the line from Anchorman, desire smells like that to some people. <laughs> um, I mean, we've said before, I think neither Michael nor I are big horror thriller fans in general um and so i could see the the merit in this as as what it is like it's really good at what it's trying to be just the thing it's trying to be is not a thing that i'm into so justin you're a fairly younger guy in in general (laughs) dennis and i do do you guys want to before we get any deeper do you guys want to hit the spoilers Sure, well, we can talk spoilers. If it's, there's spoilers it's a too. movie from almost thirty years. Thirty years ago, ago. there's haven't... not there's not a ton to it that'll be a big surprise. But it's we're horror, we're going to talk yeah. about the the original Evil Dead and probably spoil it. Yeah. Uh, so Justin, you said you're rel- relatively younger guy here for, compared to us. Yes. What, and yes. what can you tell? What's your history with this movie? Like, I would not think that this is one that, that you would have or your generation would have even known or seen or cared to watch. What, what? Why is it that you saw it? How did you see it? Why did you end up liking it? And what's what's your history with it? I mean, obviously, I've, I have a different experience than someone who watched this as it was coming out. But it's the same reason that Star Wars was a phenomenon when I was younger. These cult classics, you know, 
if it's a good cult classic, if it's a popular cult classic, uh, it's not going anywhere. It's going yeah. to keep coming back, uh, sure. even you know, many, many years later. I came into it, I believe I was in high school. Okay. Um, I was on a, a horror movie kick, mm-hmm. watching a lot of uh, B-movies from the 70s, 80s, sure. original Haunt House on the Hill. Oh, uh, no. Uh, Last House on the Left was what started it. Have you ever seen that one? <laughs> I have not I've seen not, that. No. The the remake um, is fairly disturbing. The original uh, is truly gut wrenching. Just some really really difficult stuff to watch. Um, <laughs> original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just movies that could be unrelenting in what they were willing to show on camera. Man, you because... were like a definite horror fan, man. <laughs> oh, for the, yes, for a very long time. Um, but th- these these movies back then uh, had very little regulations. Um, right. You know, they weren't mass released. Um, and so they were able to get away with showing uh, a lot of nudity, a lot of gore, a lot right. of uh, perversion, and a lot of satanic stuff, murder. Right. Um, you just described the Evil Dead for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Right. And to... I mean, this was a a decent period where a lot of these movies were being made, and some of them just managed to stick with the uh, the common people. I mean, Evil Dead spawned two sequels, uh, two pretty popular sequels, uh, right. a TV series many years later, um, and comic books, video games. It's it exploded, and to think that this small low budget movie made by a couple of students um was able to gain such popularity i think that i think that's really interesting now would you say this is on this list that dennis and i are working for of uh (laughs) somebody put for a hundred movies you should watch before you die a bucket list Mm -hmm. thing uh would you have put this one or the what i think is the more popular one number two on the list because number two is not on this list I would have put number two. And I think it's interesting that number one was the movie that you chose. Because as I was compiling my thoughts on Evil Dead, I kept coming back to Evil Dead 2 and remembering remembering things from that one uh, and confusing it with the sequel, in fact. Right. Um, yeah, I would I would have said, and I we, we go meta with this conversation, this list thing too often, but I would have said, you know, if... If somebody thinks the way that I did in my early 20s, that you always have to go back to the first one. Like, mm-hmm. don't even talk to me about Next Generation if you haven't seen Kirk and Spock. But um, on this list was the second... Um, uh, it was Dark Knight, not Batman Begins. Right. I think yeah. I have those titles right. They went yeah. for the second Nolan vs. Batman instead of the first one. So, so you're saying they weren't consistent in this. They weren't consistent, that. which, which reinforces my theory that this poster was designed by a committee. Um. <laughs> so, so the, the, I've not seen any of them, just all the pop culture references and all the little quips and the clips and things like that. It feels like nothing that I have heard about the evil dead or evil dead series was represented in this movie. Besides the fact that there was a guy named Bruce Campbell that played a guy named Ash. Like it, there was nothing iconic about this movie that I've seen throughout all that, of what I see as the evil dead in pop culture. And that probably like, reinforces the, uh, what we were saying earlier that most of the, of the big, uh, 
whatever cultural impact was in the sequel. Yeah. Like he, he doesn't have a, ch- I mean, the chainsaw was in it, but he doesn't have a chainsaw arm. Bruce Ash doesn't seem what I, is he like a quippy heroic guy in the rest of them? Cause he did not seem that way in this one at all. I think so. Heroic might be the wrong word. Uh, yeah. Quippy for quippy. sure. <laughs> yeah. It, Cause he, okay. So my, my take, I will say, just say on this one, it's felt terrible to me. Like I just movie was just terrible. <laughs> I, there was, I mean, I don't like horror movies and I don't dislike horror movies, but they're just kind of, this was just five to 10 minutes of just blood gushing on somebody's face just yeah. because he wanted to pour a bucket of blood so on somebody's face. I, I thought of this when, when Justin was sharing his, his origins with, with the horror genre, I hit an age, uh, you know, probably in college, um, where I got to a point where I could consistently watch movies without the rest of my family. And, and I got into the, the genre, but if you count horror and thriller together, I think I leaned more into the thriller genre. Um, I saw the Scream trilogy, which is Mm -hmm. sort of parody, but not entirely parody. It's not like, um, the Scream, uh, the Scream, Scream is what I just said. The scary movie. Scary movie. Franchise. Yeah. Scary, I saw... scary movie is a straight parody. It's straight Scream parody. Is I... a, it's, a, it's a meta yeah. critique, a meta analysis. It's a meta like the so it's kind of, it's like a horror movie that's about horror movies. Um, yeah, and it came out at the same time that I Know What You Did Last Summer also came out. Right. And, all that and, I, and I saw that because I was a big Jennifer Love Hewitt fan. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I saw some of the some of the movies that were made around that time. At some point, I went and watched Silence of the Lambs. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was at college, uh, we got free movie night on Mondays. And so I saw stuff like What Lies Beneath, uh, Mothman Prophecies. Um, I actually saw Hannibal before Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> um, and so I was vaguely confused. But... The stuff that appealed to me in that time was the more uh, psychological, psychological some more, yeah. some more cerebral kind of um, terror, and not so much just you, you showing you something gross. Um, mm-hmm. Not that that you know is in- inherently one is better than the other. Um, it's just what appealed to me and what worked for me. I kept thinking of you guys might not remember this, but there's an episode of The Office when um tall guy who's in silicon valley his character is gabe in the Mm -hmm. office um yep he's dating aaron from uh um unbreakable and um it's halloween and he brings this tape of he calls it something weird like cinema of the unsettling or something Mm -hmm. like that and it's just a sequence of these creepy images of like worms coming out of a skull and <laughs> just a ton of random, gross, disturbing images with no story right. or narrative or whatever. And I kept thinking of that while I was watching this. And my, the <laughs> conclusion I always came to was, yes, there are people who, who like this, who want to experience this. They're the same people who play those five nights at Freddy's games. Um, <laughs> none, none of that appeals to me. Just mm-hmm. for personal taste. The the few the few takeaway notable moments in this one that I will say was 
I, it was notable that I thought it was cool, interesting how they had the first per, uh, lady who turned mm-hmm. to like a demon. Like she, they put her in the hole and she was there the whole time and she didn't just like hide down there, which I expected like, oh, they're going to have this creepy hot sounding thing up in the basement. And, like she was just like yelling through the crack the whole time, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. It's like she was just super evil and driving them crazy, which was kind of cool. Um. And the other one was the other notable thing was first right off the bat, same girl, like the the nature gives her the wood right off the bat. I'm like, that was such a strange scene. It was such a strange scene. It's like, why are the vines rubbing her breasts? And I don't (laughs) understand why I don't I didn't. And it just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a big branch comes and then penetrates her. I'm like, right. Mm -hmm, I don't know what's happening. I mean, I will say (laughs) that in this in this time, I think. Uh, I looked it up though the specific yeah three hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget which is yes it sounds like a lot of money but it's such a small amount of money to make a movie well they blew that all on on special effects <laughs> that's all they did was on the costumes prosthetics a lot yeah. of aesthetics yeah I mean you recognize that this is a movie that's almost forty years old um yeah. and it's a lot of it is is not bad I mean it's all bad but it's all it's, bad. It's <laughs> fairly impressive for this budget. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah. It was just kind of over the top. And as the 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 movie went on, it, it there was a little bit of story at first. There was a little bit of the characters, a little bit of act, and then it was just like long, long periods of blood and murder, and the the fight scenes just were like, just kept going, and mm-hmm. like and it's the super trope of. I mean, I grew up in the eighties and nineties. And I remember it was standard for girls to run through the woods and scream and <laughs> fall down. I mean, that was just a normal thing. Right. So this movie was before all them. I guess that I can't hold it against them because it's so grown worthy, but that was just the normal thing. That was like that you have to have these in movies. And well, I mean, you and I have talked before about the behavior of female characters in older movies like go all the way back to uh psycho not psycho i just want to say psycho vertigo go all the way back to mm-hmm. vertigo or even newer than that um indiana jones oh yeah which was made after this um i think and you're right. you're talking about the sexualization the male gaze the objectification well oh, yeah. not um, not even not even so much that but just really like irrational emotional outbursts like screaming and then the male character okay. just like you know wrestling them into into submission not in a not in a um uh, Heroic. not in a, not in a <laughs> not in an assault way but just like a like calming Get hold of yourself lady calming a wild animal kind of thing and i'm like oh this is yeah this is so bad it's just yeah and they do this this whole thing it's it's they're the worst caricatures of females, and then the guys are the worst caricatures of guys. Ash is the only one that's semi redeemable because he seems kind of nice, you know. And yeah, and so he's, when they all die, it wasn't. And terrible. he's mostly like his acting is not amazing, but everyone else in this movie is awful. The other guy, like so every awful. every line he says is like he, like his character is supposed to be arrogant and smirky, but he he's like a character. Like he's laughing. Like while he's delivering every line, it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, totally. 
And you're right. Bruce Campbell was the only one that was maybe past. I had a hard time. I remember seeing him in several of the Spider-Man scenes being Sam Raimi type movies and, Mm -hmm. and knowing also seeing him in clips and stuff. And he seems very smarmy and like I said, quippy. And he was not that at all in this. He was just this terrible, lame kind of character. And I'm, and I, I kind of now want to watch Evil Dead 2 to see, because this does not You seem, You should watch Evil Dead 2. Yeah, this you just should. doesn't seem like it's what it was supposed to have been to me. I didn't get any of the references that I thought I would. Well, the interesting thing about Evil Dead 2 is because of how the movie was distributed, not being, uh, not being released by a major motion picture studio or produced by a major motion picture studio... When they made the sequel, they didn't have the rights to the footage that they shot for the first movie. So so that is, it's still a direct sequel. It takes place immediately after that end scene. Okay, so it's not the same story. It is the same story. Okay. Wait, what? However, they they could not reuse any of the scenes from the original movie. Wait, I'm confused. Say that again. It's the same story. Like, we watched the same movie? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a continuation. Okay, okay. It's a, it is a sequel. It's a, it is a sequel. Okay. But because they cannot reuse any of the footage from the original movie, they reshoot it with different actors, with updated sets, updated graphics. Mm-hmm. Was and he... so that, in a way, they remake the movie as an introduction to the sequel. Was he... Old, much older when they made the second one, or is he? Because he was really young then. He's, I have it in front of me. He's born in '58, so he's about 23 when the first one was made, and then the second one is in '87, so that's 29ish. Okay, so a little older. Yeah, yeah. Six, I just didn't because Justin said it, like it, it six, six starts years. right off the bat, and it's like. Because he looks like a baby, kind of like 19, 20 year old. I mean, 30 year old. I'm like, wait, what the hell? You know, if 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 that's the first suspension of disbelief you have in a horror <laughs> movie, <laughs> that's true. That's he's true. not a he's not a college student. Yeah, what's what's right. going on here? Oh man. Well, yeah. So okay. So um, would you put this on your bucket list, Dennis? On your personal top 100, you got to watch these movies before you die list. No, I mean, if at the very least, I would probably put two after all the discussion we've had. I, I would have put two. Um, you know, following my usual conception of you put one of every type, um, it would be a challenge for me to, to pick one thriller and one horror. Um, this, prob- oh, I, I, this probably works yeah. for, for horror, and then I would definitely put uh, Silence of the Lambs for thrillers. I mean, there's the for pure horror movies... And, and again, I have to, I, I think I am going to have to just have myself sit down and watch Evil Dead 2 because I think the only thing that this could sit in a, a bucket list is for camp. Like that would not horror. Yeah. I think it can't fit in. Because if you're going to put horror in there, then go back in that eight, that time period, then put in like Pumpkinhead or Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. And those are iconic horror movie things. That something with something with say. no with no comedy. Yes. So this feels like it was put on the list for camp, but the way I understand it is that camp is best exonified in the or exemplified, exemplified. in the second movie. Right? Yes. 
I believe so. Okay, so maybe I need to watch that, and then I can have it like okay, this this. But I would say this Evil Dead number one would not belong on my list either of things that you got to watch. Like you guys got to watch this movie. It's (laughs) okay. So next, oh, (laughs) next we're watching Silence of the Lambs. I did not. Oh, we are. Oh man, what a rough one. Okay, that's a Halloween movie. Well, hello, Clarice. I don't know if I put that was a Halloween movie, but okay. I mean, it's a thriller for sure, or psychological, sure. yeah. Oh, man. I mean, they got to watch the scene with the guy that's tucking, and oh, it's going to be rough. Oh, with the goodbye horses. That's, Buffalo that's, Bill. that's Dennis's favorite scene in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless you want to skip ahead and watch The Shining first. I'll, I'll watch it. You know, I haven't seen The Shining. I Justin will probably hate me for saying that, but because I'm sure I've seen that. I yet. saw it in. If, if I didn't already. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. All right. We have just a little bit of time left. Do you guys want to talk briefly about um, the first uh, Star Trek Discovery short trek? Yeah, since we have oh, short absolutely. time, let's watch the sh- talk about the short trek. So, this short trek is called QA. And. Okay. Um, we're going to spoil it, so I'm going to hit the bell. Justin, are you a Trekkie? Yes. Not as heavily as others, but I, I, <laughs> I do partake. What what uh, what kind of Trekkie are you? Are you a Next Generation, an yeah, original, right. a Abrams? So, I was born in the 90s, uh, too young to appreciate TNG hmm. when it was on TV. Sure. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So I got into Star Trek uh, around middle school. And at that point, I think Enterprise was still on TV, but I, I don't remember being interested in it. Okay, sure. But I did, I did pick up the original Star Trek series DVDs when they came out. Oh, sure. Because I knew, I knew it was a phenomenon. I knew, wow, I knew what okay. Star Trek was. That's pretty so cool. I so went, I went all the way back to the beginning because that was the first thing that was becoming widely distributed on home media and i could i could pick that up i could own it i could sit down and i could watch it they released those before they release any of the other series on dvd so i could sit down and i could watch the original series and that's where it started for me even though that's impressive i was born in the 90s the (laughs) very first star trek i watched was was the original the original series it's interesting. interesting i've i've talked about my origins with star trek several times on this podcast but i i was born in 81 so not you know that situ those those conditions were not the same for me but my whatever sort of again at that age preference for going back to the original um when i got into it i think next generation i think was over and they were in the middle of voyager and deep space nine um Enterprise started while I was in college, so I was fully into Star Trek when it started, so I watched all of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I always preferred the original series. Like, it had a... Um, it has a, a campiness and a style that's more charming than the early TNG 80s style would have been in the mid-90s, if that makes any kind of sense. Yes, I understand what you're saying. Um, and so I had a similar... There were no... There were no DVDs yet, but they did have they did release the original series on VHS tapes that I could uh, I could get from the library. So I saw some of those. Well, that that kind of comes into this topic of this short trek because it the last season of Discovery, which I'm assuming you watched, Justin. Yes, 
Yes, I did. Yes. Okay. So it had a lot to deal with um, the Enterprise and the original right. stuff and Pike and OG Star Trek, um, with especially with Spock. And this short trek had that in it. How did you feel about this, Justin? Did you like this one? Was it okay? So I've, I've seen the other short treks, the short treks that were bridging season one and season mm -hmm. two, and I yep. thought they were a bit of a mixed bag. Okay. And I, I've seen the, the new two, and I think we're going to get something of a mixed bag again. Sure. It's really the Discovery's uh, attempt to sort of throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Sure. Okay. So we're just talking about Q&A. Yes, just I Q &A. loved it. Ab I've not seen absolute, it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. I mean, but I, I think I think I think in part because my favorite elements of season two of Discovery were the Enterprise. Uh, components. Yeah, I agree. Having Spock, having number one, Pike. That was what made this season for me, Discovery season two. So to mm -hmm. see a continuation of that, uh, even if it's a prequel, was fantastic. Mm -hmm. You got to say, and, and I can't, we, we can't talk about <laughs> Discovery anymore, but um, I, you got to say that the hardest thing that you would think at the end of season one when they showed the Enterprise come in is that you just can't show enterprise you can't show spock you can't do but you can't do that you just can't in this day and age in a star trek story just stay away there's no way you can do it successfully and i think discovery did it not only just super successfully I mean, enough that we wanted another trek of it we wanted 10 minutes of mm -hmm. just two characters in an elevator yeah yeah right because Which, and one of them was the most popular star arguably the most popular star trek character I mean, of them all both of those things are well executed the number one character is relatively unknown she was in that one original pilot, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Majel Barrett, Gene Roddenberry's wife, who also was yes. the voice of the computer up until, I think, mm -hmm. through Enterprise. Um, yeah. And she also played the nurse in the original series and mm -hmm. Deanna Troy's mother in Next Generation. Luxana. 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 And, um, but this version of her, uh, portrayed by Rebecca Romaine, is, is great. Um, yeah, and I love the, you know, going into the, the meta a little bit. I think if you don't, I don't know, depending on what you know, you may enjoy or not get, um, elements of this, of this short trek based on what you know or don't know, but people familiar with the original series will know that, um, in the pilot, the cold, emotionless character was number one. Spock's character had not been fleshed out yet. And he, you know, he had and showed emotion, um, you know, you know, because Vulcan, no, nobody, there's no canon for what Vulcans were yet. Um, right. And in the actual show, they dropped the number one character and made Spock that cold, emotionless character. And so to see them both exist side by side, this, you know, very small version of the character who almost was Spock. And the character who actually is Spock, and we all know from decades of of Leonard Nimoy's portrayal, um, interact and and connect because of their similar personalities, right? Because they were basically the same character in the in the origins yes. of this of this franchise um, was just um, delightful to watch. And, and, De <laughs> and Dennis has been gone on record as saying that Spock is his favorite Trek character. And now you've got three full versions of that, right? <laughs> I mean, you've got not just Quinto came in like, oh, you nailed it. Oh, man, that's so and rare. We have another guy. 
and that's that's something else that I appreciated so much about season two. Like that's that's got to be one of the hardest things to pull off to take like a well known, well beloved. It would be like if they recast Han Solo. Wait, no, they did that. Um, they did that. Wasn't a bit. It would be like if they recast Luke um, in yeah. in Star Wars. Knock on wood. Uh, right. Right. Um, right. But they did this sort of slow reveal of him with the with the beard and him being kind of crazy, and then slowly evolving into the Spock that we know. Um, and and again, even though because this is a prequel, uh, no, even though this is a prequel, they still give a little hint, a little callback to the finale of season two. It's, it's not a thing that Spock has experienced yet, but we all have. So that moment when in such a such a trivial thing, them singing, um, you know, she wants him to erase, you know, there's a hole in his in his memory where this thing it well for us the viewers we all know what the big hole in his memory is uh, yeah but neither of them do at this point and so that's a that's a moment just for us but i was like man this is so it the the writing of it is just so good and mm-hmm. speaking of moments that we've never had with spock ever <laughs> did you see the huge smile that he had for just like he, he half laughed. a second yeah he mm-hmm. laughed and had a huge smile and that's not it's not Spock ever like with right. Jim, you know, Kirk or anyone, he doesn't ever break mm-hmm. except back then when he was younger, he has this little thing and he, he reveals it's number one, you know, which was great. And they had that moment and like, they both agree that they will never talk about it again, which is really great. Right. So I, I enjoyed it. it. I'm, I'm looking forward I, to I, that. I absolutely way. enjoyed it. I, I'm all about it. Are are you what what do you how do you feel, Justin, about uh season three of Discovery? Are you wanting more of Pike and crew or maybe another spin-off or Oh, I would I would love to see the continuing adventures of Pike and Crew. That um, right that's so much more well, maybe not so much more, but that's much more appealing to me than um whatever uh the future people are doing. Discovery yeah. season three, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I really like Discovery. I mean, like the, the Discovery crew has come a long way. I I worry that without Pike, the the show will not be as solid because he was Pike was the solid. It's foundation. a big part mm-hmm. of what I, made I agree. what made season two. And if you go too far into into the future, then the you know the um, the reins come off, and you don't know. Like without constraints around the storytelling, you could just it could just go crazy. Yeah, and and I'm actually kind of hoping that's what they go. I'm hoping that they go into the far future, past next generation with this, uh, Discovery in season three. And then I would love, like Justin said, I would love to see a Pike, you know, it, it's a basically the in the past thing, right. which you can explore all those years with a Pike crew. It's everything and that then happened in Picard. between that. And yeah, and then you have Picard with Next Generation. So you've got... You you could the CBS Paramount could position themselves to have all three generations happening at one to time to just see so. whatever. I mean, I was gonna say as far as um, uh, Michael Burnham's story, the the open sort of no no limits uh, storytelling is part of what made season one kind of rough. I and, was gonna say that, and maybe maybe there's an element where. If you go far into the future, then it's okay. It's really hard to do no rules storytelling in a prequel. Like you have, you still have to stay within the things that we know. 
Um, yeah. And they tried to sort of do both where when they made the shift, the things that changed when they did season two, um, they leaned much more heavily into the, no, let's embrace the original material and keep our story within those parameters. I would love to see them shoot shoot for, well, I guess a modern day next generation, like where Picard is, or say a hundred years after that. Like those would be nice timelines for Discovery to sit in. You want you want Discovery oh, well, to be it, beyond known storytelling. Yeah, so that yeah. you still have Federation, you have new stories. It's just it's new Trek, and that's just let's go forward with the world and the universe. Yeah, right. Per, perhaps I'm I'm misremembering this. For some reason, my mind is saying they're far into the future, far beyond uh, the next generation. The, the estimate was like. Like nine hundred years or something. Yeah, yeah like it was supposed to be a long time. Um, Which even the furthest we know, I think Voyager or maybe a couple of the movies are still mm-hmm. within like hundred, hundred and fifty years. Yeah, there was and, time traveling. I want to say in Voyager, one of one of the later series, either Deep Space Nine or Voyager, oh, uh, had interactions with the late twenty ninth century. Uh, yeah, Voyager. Voyager does that. Well, yeah, the, I, the 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 nine hundred years in the future though is supposed to be where like the universe is dead. Yeah right? the the stuff the stuff in Voyager where they go back to the nineties and meet, um, uh, Ed Begley Jr. playing Bill, Bill Gates. Um, that I think the time travel ship is still only like twenty fourth or fifth century. It's not. Right. It's not super far. It's like a couple hundred years. Yeah, at most. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, that's what Dennis and I talked about. Like, it says 900 years, but they could, like, in the first episode or two, say, okay, now we're... Captain, we're, we miscalculated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or some kind of thing like that. We ended know. up in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> right, I mean, there's anything. This this is kind of exciting thing about it, is that anything can happen, and they could they can really choose whatever they want to do now. Yeah. My my hope my hope for season three and uh, I I I didn't mean to turn this into a discovery conversation. I don't think I'm we, lonely to blame here. We did. Um, <laughs> I hope that they take notes from Voyager's first few seasons of, uh, and Battlestar Galactica's first few seasons where they're isolated, their survival, um, that they don't have all the resources all the power that they had in the first few seasons yeah my issue with season one was always um every episode had some MacGuffin involving the abilities of discovery yeah just oh we've got the mycelium network and it can do pretty much whatever we need to resolve (laughs) the issue in this in this situation i hope that season three is able to set some boundaries and create some some difficulties that they can't overcome by just like squinting really hard and getting surrounded by glowy stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got to have, you've got to have rules. You got to have, right. You, you have to have rules for the the drama, the dramatic tension to exist. Yeah. The, they, they, I think, I think they probably will do that too. Yeah. Justin, I think that they'll, they'll go out into a, a thing where they're kind of by themselves and it lets them be their own thing. They just wrapped up all of their, uh, prequel kind of stuff in a nice bow with season one and two. Like they, they treaded on 
you know, prequel of the original series timeline really delicately through season one and two. And they've really did an expert job and they kind of left it with, here's the reason why we don't talk about discovery. Here's the reason there's no more things. And it's kind of like, that's done. It felt to me like that is, we did it. We were in the past and we're no longer going to mess with the timeline. Right. That's the way it felt at least. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I guess I'm saying is I don't believe that they'll put them back in the, the prequel timeline. Hmm. I, I don't know oh. if they'll ever go back. Um, we will see. Yeah. Well, I think we did it, guys. We made it all the way to the end. Yeah. We next. Thanks, week, Justin. Next week we'll maybe talk about the second short trek, which was a weird one, and then Silence of the Lambs. Ugh, rough. <laughs> okay. It's it's Spooktober on the front porch. It, it is. It is. Well, you've been listening to the front porch. This is episode one hundred and twelve. Thanks as always to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. If you like Star Trek or Star Trek role-playing, you can listen to our other podcast, KlingonsAndDragons.com. We just wrapped up recording Season 1, though that won't air for at least six months. Um, <laughs> the The episode that did just go up was the actual Part 2 of our live show, not Part 1 posted again, which I did. Is that the one where we all died and had to re-roll characters? I can't remember. Um, there was a time loop, yes. Okay, all right. right. Um, it was just, it was just <laughs> like uh, the House of X, Powers of Ten. <laughs> if you have questions or comments feedback on the show you can tell us your hopes and dreams for season three of star trek discovery you can email us frontporchpod at gmail.com over on our website frontporchpodcast.com we got contact forms we got comment boxes on all the episodes we got the schedule for the hundred movies so check that out uh, again frontporchpodcast.com if you enjoy the show you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify overcast anywhere podcasts are found thanks as always for listening and until next time I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. I am Justin. For the front porch. All right, everybody. See you next time.